The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come now to you again. And we want to be a people submitted to your word. We want to be a people exhorted and encouraged, comforted, convicted by your word. So we're praying that you would take this holy word that you've written, that you've given to us as a gift, and you'd pour out your spirit now in this moment. Pour it out on me to be clear, say what you want me to say at every point. Pour it out on this people that it would land with the impact and the power and the transforming grace that you would have for us this morning. We trust you to do this because we know you love your glory and you love your people and you're faithful to your promises. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if I were to ask you right now, what do you fear? I wonder what you'd say. What, what do you fear? If I were to ask you, what makes you anxious? What kind of fills your heart with anxiety? What would you say? What's the thing in your life right now where if the circumstances change how you want them to, you would take that, that deep sigh of relief and just rest for a moment. Right? You have one? You have one in your mind? There's something that in your life, if you could just, it would feel so much better. You'd find rest. It could be a work issue. Maybe something is going on at work that has you stressed out. It could be a a health concern, ongoing or new. could be a a sin issue you've kept hidden and it's it's wearing you down. It could be a worry about about your kids or your marriage or a friend. It could be a, a kind of restlessness that you always have to be doing enough or being enough for God or others to love you. You're just always... Worried, what do people think about me? It could be uncertainty about some future circumstance or situation. It could be anything, right? Every, every situation, every life in this room is a little bit different. But where our minds wander in anxiousness and fear is often where our hearts find their resting place practically from day to day and moment to moment. Now, my guess is none of you would say, I'm resting in this fear, (laughs) or I'm resting in this situation. You would say, I'm resting in Jesus, right? You know the answer. But, practically, where we're anxious or fearful is where we're seeking rest. Augustine, or Augustine, whatever you want to call him, once said this, and it's become one of my favorite quotes as a litmus test for my own heart. So here's one of my favorite quotes from him. I just use to say, how is my heart doing? He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So ask yourself this morning, Where is your heart finding its rest? Where are you anxious? 
What places does it anxiously run to? And what places does it take that deep sigh of relief? Can you say, well, it really is Jesus. When all these things come flooding at me, I just take a deep breath because of Jesus. Or are you contingent in your rest on circumstances? And here's my prayer. My prayer, if you're here today, and you realize your mind and your heart have been running to all their sorts of places for rest, all their sorts of places that are anxious, that you would see in the Word today that there is a God worthy of trusting and resting in, and He can handle whatever you got. He can handle whatever is going on right now. So what we're going to do is look at point number one, this big picture of this story in chapter 12, and then point number two, we're going to see how that story is actually true and happening in this room today. So point number one has four points. Don't get overwhelmed. We're going to be okay. All right, point number one, a faithful covenant calling. So you'll remember last week we saw a genealogy that took us from Noah to Abram, and it showed us that God has preserved his people. He's working for his people to enjoy his presence in his place. And that big story, that big theme, is continued in this little story in Genesis 12 today. So look at verse 1 with me to see this faithful covenant calling. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So it's significant here that God is showing up and speaking. (laughs) We shouldn't miss this. We see that God works by his word. We've seen that all the way from Genesis 1. So God shows up and speaks to Abram and asks him to pack up and leave and go where he shows him. That's the ask. Abram, leave. Go where I'm going to show you. Now that's a big deal for an obvious reason and a big deal for a not-so-obvious reason that I think is just as significant. So the obvious reason is that God asks him to pack up and go without a plan. That's a big ask. Kids, I want you to imagine that when you get home this afternoon, your parents say to you, hey, get all your stuff, put it in this truck, we're moving. And you would say to them what? You'd say to them, why? Where, where are we going? Where are we headed? And what if they said to you, we don't know yet, but we're leaving right away? Right? Would that make you feel anxious? Right? That's pretty dramatic, but that's what God is asking. Now here's the not so obvious reason that is something even more dramatic that must have happened in this encounter and in Abram's heart because Abram wasn't a worshiper of the true and living God before this. It would be one thing if we saw Abram with this life lived of faithfulness and now following in this call, but here's what we hear about him in Joshua 24.2 as, as they're recounting the history of Israel. Here's what it says in Joshua 24.2. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, And they served other gods. So what we have here is a big ask and a big change of heart. It's a big ask and a big change of heart because they don't know where they're going. And before this, they haven't known God. They've been worshiping other gods, serving other gods. But what we see in verses 2 to 3 
is that it's a big ask and a big change of heart from a big God who makes big promises. You heard Pastor David chuckle at the enormity of the promises even as he read the scripture. So here's what it says at the beginning of this covenant that God is making with Abraham in verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a big promise, right? We all know the story, so we can, we can glaze over. But imagine God showing up and talking to you and saying, hey, you, uh, I'm going to bless everyone that blesses you. Everyone that curses you or dishonors you, I'll curse them. And in you, Dave, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? That's a huge promise. So notice what's been promised here. I'm just going to keep saying it. What's been promised is a place and a people to enjoy God's presence. That's what's been promised. God is working towards His promises that His people will dwell in His place to enjoy His presence through an offspring. Notice that language. Offspring, great nations, multitude. An offspring that will crush the serpent and bring His people near. And if you've read most of the Bible, this is just like God to work His purposes by changing the heart of an idol worshiper to instead worship Him. Right? This is what we see kind of with the Apostle Paul. Saul become Paul. Someone not following Him at all now changed to change the entire course of history. And notice from chapter 11 to 12, the reversal of last week. The people of Babel, what did they say? They said, let's stay and let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make ourselves a big deal. God says to Abram, go, I'll make a name for you. Go, I'll make a name for you. I'm the place you want to find your name. I'm the place that is safe. Again, this is a big ask and change of heart, but with a big God and big promises. And I think what we see here in this big God and His promises is that Abram finally found the resting place. It never found in his home, in his comfort, or in his other gods. He finally found the place where he could say, I'm safe here. I can trust this place. This God is faithful. Letter B, a faith-filled covenant in going. So verses 4 to 9, look at verse 4 with me right away. And notice the radical obedience. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So he he goes. He obeys. He doesn't take a scouting trip. He doesn't send some servants out to see if God will show him where he'll end up. He doesn't ask the question, is it going to be a good land? Is it going to be a hard journey? Will all of us make it? We're pretty comfortable here, God. (laughs) We're pretty settled here. He doesn't ask any of those things. He doesn't send out anyone in front of him They just go. He's all in. I mean, is anyone in here a planner? (laughs) And if you're not a planner, does anyone in here like knowing where you're going to live tomorrow? Right? So so imagine how dramatic this is. In verses 5 to 6, we see him pack up his bride, his nephew, all the people that live with them, and everything they owned. He's all in. 
So, so here's a question. Just ask yourself this. Uh, there's all sorts of uncertainty in your life right now. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of you feel it more intensely. But why does Abram obey? Why does he go? Because it has become safer to rest in this new God, to be safe in this new God that has spoken to him than in any earthly comfort, familiarity, or stability. Somehow, God is safer. His plans are safer. They're bigger. They're stronger than anything else Abram would find his safety in. Now notice, he travels then to Canaan and people are living there in verse 6. And while there, God shows up and says, to your offspring I will give this land. This is the verse in the Bible where Canaan becomes the promised land. Because God says it is. (laughs) He says this is the place. Now, I don't know if I'm Abram. Maybe you're you're not like me, but I try to imagine myself in the story. Like I'm Abram, and I'm a cynical, sarcastic person, so I often imagine them like me. Maybe they weren't. But as I read this, and God shows up, and I'm I'm getting to Canaan, and here I am, and all these people are in the land, and God shows up and says, to your offspring I'll give this land. I don't know that I'd be thrilled. Right? I just packed up everything, all my stuff, and traveled all this way, and now you're saying this is it. A place that already has people here. <laughs> like there's already someone living here. We should keep going where there's more space. Kids, imagine if after your, your parents make you pack up the truck and leave this afternoon... It's not really going to happen, kids, but imagine it. You end up in a place where some not-so-nice people already live, and your parents say to you, well, eventually we're going to live here. Until then, just kind of keep your stuff in the truck, and we'll go to different rest stops for a while. That would be a little confusing and a little frustrating. So how does Abram respond? Well, not like me. Verse 7 It says, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Just a couple verses later, he'll travel a little farther and build another altar to the Lord and worship him. His response is worship. He he builds an altar and calls upon the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is a real, living, faith-filled relationship. His heart has found rest in God, and God keeps showing up to remind him of his promises. This is the heart of faith, dependence and worship. Abram realized the beauty of the God of the universe stooping down to speak to him, to speak to him, to confirm his promises to him, and so he bows in humble, dependent worship, flowing from a heart of faith. In Hebrews 11.8 confirms this. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. His heart has changed. From this heart of rest and relationship with God flows a life of radical dependence. Again, now it is safer to be with God wherever God wants him to be than it is to be anywhere else that he might want himself to be. And this this is no different than what God calls us to do. He says, come and trust me. Come and follow me. You don't know what's next. (laughs) You don't know what's next. This, This journey doesn't get easier. All your problems don't go away. But come and follow me and trust me. I am where it's safe. I am your resting place. 
Letter C, a fear-filled, self-preserving. So right after this glorious display of faith by Abram, and it is, right? Hebrews confirms it. This is a faith-filled man leaving and going out. Well then, an unexpected trial comes to this newfound faith. Right? We know this. Not everything is flowers and butterflies after we follow God, is it? And what happens to Abram and his family is a famine. Now it's hard for us to conceive of a famine. And maybe the, maybe the closest we can even get, which is not very close, is when you went a couple years ago and you could not find your preferred brand of toilet paper. Right? You're like, what am I going to do? Right? You went to Targets and CVSs and they had nothing. And it was all out of sight. For a moment, you felt a little bit like, what's happening? Well, famine meant there was literally nothing. There's no food. There's no sustenance. It's running out. It would have been a real danger because he had a big group of people and animals to care for. This was a big party traveling. And so, in verse 10, they head to Egypt, which many people did in that day. And the reason they did is that the Nile River made Egypt a place that rarely had a famine, though we'll see one later in Genesis. But it rarely had a famine even when other places did because there was water that kept things growing and life coming and so they go to Egypt with many other people. This is, this is just a common sense move. Man, we don't have any food. There's food there. Egypt is full of all this stuff. Let, let's go. And then in verses 11 to 13, they come and they surprise us a bit. Here's what it says. He's about to enter Egypt and he, had said, to, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now most of us know the rest of the story, but I want to say to you that this was also a common sense move. Just like him going down to Egypt was a common sense move. This was a common sense move. It's, I don't even think in the beginning it's quite as scary and ugly as it seems. Like, I'm just going to give her away. Here's what I think is going on. In that day, if there wasn't a father in the picture, in the family, then the brother got to negotiate the rights of marriage for his sister. So as they head into a foreign land, and he sees his wife and says, you're, you've got these killer good looks, right? They're, they're going to kill me for your good looks he realizes that foreigners might be more willing and more quickly respect the negotiation process than if they simply realize the only way to have his wife is to kill him. So he's thinking, well, if I go in here and they see her, they just think that we're brother and sister, it's going to buy me time. It's going to buy me time. While they think we're negotiating, we'll take whatever we can and we'll get out of here. We need food, so we've got to go in. So it's just another common sense move. And technically, she was his half-sister, right? So it's, it's half-true. And so I'm sure Abram thought, well, technically, I'm not lying. This process will give me time to figure out how to get some food and get out of here if I need to. Plus, Sarai has been barren up to this point. We find that back in chapter 11. So I need to create some more time for God to work his purposes of giving us children like he promised. Now, what we should notice here in verses 10 to 15, is something's missing, and actually it's a, it's a person that's missing, and it's God. Right? He's just also out of the picture, right? He is the point of verses 1 to 10. He's everywhere, showing up, 
speaking, being obeyed, altars to him. They're talking. There's this relationship. And then in verses 10 to 15, it's like, where did, where did God go? He's not here anymore. There's no calling on God when he makes the move to Egypt. No saying, God, should I go there? Is that how you'll provide for me? No, no calling on God when he makes this sneaky decision about Sarai. And I would just say, I think more than the most obvious, blatant, ugly sins that we could circle and highlight, that's ugly, that's bad, this is how our anxious fear so quietly leads us away from God. We just forget that he's the main point. It's like, well, yeah, God, you made these big promises, right? You, like for us, like you promised us heaven <laughs> and eternal life and a life of worship in your presence. There's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will complete the good work I started in you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. I know that's true, but not like in this circumstance, right? How does that really come to bear in this circumstance? In this practical thing going on in my life, in this broken relationship, in this hard thing at work, in this chronic pain or disease, right? Don't we all do this? This, this is where it starts. This is where we start drifting away from God and it's subtle. We rationalize, we plan, we scheme, often with half-truths. Like Abram, we just do it all without any dependence or rest in God. And it probably, hear, hear this, this probably would have worked except for one very extreme thing happened named Pharaoh. We have to understand how extreme this is, right? Abraham obviously knew his wife was beautiful. Right, beautiful enough that he's making a plan about it. But he probably, did, probably didn't predict in verses 14 and 15 that she'd get so noticed that she'd go right into the house of Pharaoh. I mean, what are the chances? Apparently pretty good because it happens again later in Genesis. But at this time, I don't think he knew that. And so his scheme, right, this, this sinister drifting from God, depending on himself, scheming, planning, half-truths, suddenly has gone from sneaky and simple to dangerous and out of control, not only for him, but for his wife, for someone he loves. Pharaoh doesn't negotiate with the brother. Pharaoh takes what he wants. And so he takes Sarai. And suddenly the promise of God, the plan of Abram, the journey away from home, it has all spiraled out of control and Abraham's sinful, fear-filled half-truth has led to trouble he could not have predicted. Anyone ever been there with your sin? <laughs> Seemed like a small thing. Then it had to be another thing. just spiraled out of control and now I've lost control of it. I'm losing control of it. And so Genesis very quickly before we have a parade for Abram, for all of his faith-filled going, we quickly get to see that he's still just a human. He's still just a guy <laughs> that God has chosen. And I actually hope, in a strange way, this is encouraging for you if you're a Christian right now, or if you're not a Christian, and you're, you're, you're looking in or you're sitting here with us. Abraham's faith, Abram's faith, keep calling him Abraham, he's not Abraham yet. Abram's faith is real. This has not undone his faith. It's testified to in Hebrews as an example. It's real, but it's not perfect. 
He's not perfect. He stumbles almost immediately when things get hard. Christians, this is true of us too, isn't it? We stumble. We, we, just, we just mess up. Let's do this for a second. Close your eyes. Raise your hand if you've ever just completely blown it. Okay, open your eyes and keep your hands up. You all put your hands down. <laughs> Don't do that. I want you to take a deep breath and just look around and go, okay. Like everyone in here has blown it and some people are lying, right? So, so everyone in here has just blown it. We've blown it. We, we've done this. We can relate to this. We tell ourselves these have truths. We, we justify our lack of dependence on God, our lack of rest in Him. We, we plan all the time without praying. We Google all the time before we go to God. And this testing, and even our failing the test sometimes, is meant to refine our faith, to show us our lack of ability so we trust God's ability alone again. To show us that our relentless pursuits of other things will never bring us the rest we find in trust in God. To show us that as safe as all of our efforts and planning and scheming apart from Him seem, all of these subtle distancing ourselves from God seems that it's not safe. We'll spiral out of control if we don't draw near to God. And if you're a non-Christian watching or here with us and you're thinking either A, Christians are hypocrites, you're right. Right, to be a Christian is not to be sinless, but to know we are sinners and we need a Savior. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, I could never be good enough to join this group. They look perfect. They sing loud. They dress nice. We're not perfect. Right? We're conditioned to do those things. <laughs> and Abram wasn't perfect. You haven't gone too far to outsin the grace of Jesus. God would welcome you into His family right now. If you would trust in the death of Jesus to pay for your sins, you would have faith filling you like we do so that you'd be slowly and surely transformed like us and like Abram was to rest in God more fully day to day until the day we see him face to face in eternity. Letter D, a faithful covenant preserving. So in verses 16 to 20, we get to see God's covenant keeping mercy. God has made a promise to Abram to make a great nation of him, to give him land, to make all the families of the earth blessed in Abram. And the most powerful ruler in the world is no match for the God of the universe. I said before, Pharaoh doesn't negotiate. Well, neither does God. God never negotiates. In these days, there would have been a long time of preparation for a bride to go through before she actually went and spent time with the ruler. You see that in all sorts of other stories in the Bible as well. So Sarai was likely in that preparation time, being prepared for Pharaoh. And while that's happening, God sends massive plagues on the house of Pharaoh. And somehow, we don't get to find out exactly how, I mean, I'm assuming that maybe Sarai was like the one in the house without the plagues, and they're going, what's going on with you? But God sends these massive plagues, and Pharaoh discovered it's because he has Abram's wife. And this God of Abram's is committed to making sure he protects his line of promise. He will keep his promises. He will not forsake this family despite all the foolishness of Abram. He will save his people to enjoy his presence in his place, and he has promised to do it through Abram and Sarai, so it will happen. <laughs> It'll happen. So Sarai is spared. 
And she's returned to Abram. And notice that all the blessings and property they received from Pharaoh because of him taking Sarah into his house, they get to keep it. (laughs) Right? So Abram had his way that he was going to go into the land and then get himself out with provisions. And God goes, I'm just going to come in and rescue you. And you've got to get out of here now. But you have all you need. You're still going to have all you need because I care about my glory. I care about my name. I keep my promises to my people. Pharaoh could have killed Abram. That would have been even within his rights at that time. Why doesn't he? Because he trembles before the power of God. And so God works to keep his promise to Abram despite Abram's lack of dependence and foolishness. And this is good news for us. God keeps his promises despite our sometimes lack of rest in him, not because of our performance. It's good news that our salvation is not dependent on unfailing faith or rest in God, but in God's unfailing faithfulness to his promises and his preservation of his people. Aren't you glad this morning, all of you who raised your hand and said, I blew it, that it's up to God's faithfulness and not up to your perfect faith? Now, this doesn't mean that we should go on sinning that grace would abound, right? We should always seek to obey God. That's the place of true safety and rest, to trust Him and obey Him. And we want our faith to grow, don't we? Don't you want to find your resting place in Jesus? Don't you want more and more just to trust Him? Don't you want to grow? Like we're going to see Abraham grow so that when God says eventually, take your son, sacrifice him, Abraham goes, I don't get it. But you've made promises and you'll keep them, so I'll go. Right? His faith has grown We will more and more grow like that as he tests our faith and transforms us more and more into full lives of rest in him. But when we don't, when we fail, God preserves us. God keeps us. God is preserving his line of promise in the story. God is keeping his covenant and he will preserve us and he will keep his covenant with us. Which leads to point number two. God's promise to you in Jesus. So now what we're going to see, like we see all the time in Genesis, is how Genesis 12 is happening, is being fulfilled right here in this room in Lakeville. It's happening and being fulfilled right here in this room in Lakeville. So listen to a few verses from Galatians. Actually, turn. I'm just going to give you a second. Turn to Galatians 3. I want you to read this with me, and I want you to see it. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 to 9 first. Here's Paul commenting on this, really this whole story of Abraham. Here's what he says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you, all nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What did we just read in Genesis 12, 1 to 3? We just read the gospel. That's what Paul says. And what is the gospel? Here he says that by faith, all the nations of the world will be blessed in the offspring of Abraham. So it's those who have faith that are blessed with him. So we'd say, well, faith in what? Faith in who? 
And Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. So it's referring to faith in Jesus. Paul is saying, all those promises made to Abraham come true to all those who have faith, come to pass through Abraham's ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ. And now if you have faith in Jesus, you're in him. So you can think of the Bible like this. Here's Abraham and his offspring is going to spread out, spread out, spread out. And it's going to thin down, thin down, thin down to one, namely Jesus Christ. And then what does it do? It spreads out like this again to us. So that we in Christ are the offspring of Abraham. That's what he's saying. Abraham will have many offsprings, even though his wife started off barren and in Pharaoh's house. But there's one the Bible's concerned with, and that's Jesus Christ, the promised one from Genesis 3.15, who will crush the serpent for our sins. Jesus is the one who came and succeeded where Abram failed. Right? He's the one who came and succeeded where we have failed. He's the one who lived the perfect life of faith and obedience we never lived and then died the death we deserve to die for sin. Think of Jesus in Matthew 4. Right? Not a famine, but he's very hungry. And he passes the test of faith. He trusts God. He believes his word. He died the death we deserve to die for sin. It's Jesus, and it's in Jesus that all nations will be blessed by faith. Listen now to verses 25 to 29 of Galatians 3. He brings it all together. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So that promise is happening right here in this room. And that promise now that we're in Christ keeps happening as the gospel keeps going out to every tongue and tribe and people and language and nation. That promise keeps coming true until the day it's fulfilled when people from every tribe and tongue and people and language and nation are gathered around the throne. You are the fulfillment of Genesis 12. This is not just a story on a cool flannel board in Sunday school. This is your story. This is your family history fulfilled in Jesus. Now you're in him and you are safe. And God will keep his promises to you. So who receives the promises of Christ? Those who belong to Jesus through faith. Those who trust in his death for sins and his resurrection power to conquer death once for all. There are no economic or ethnic or gender lines in this salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's no perfect faith that gets you in. The thing that gets you into the promises and into the family and into the eternal salvation of Jesus is trusting Jesus. So it gets you in. So despite your stumblings and your imperfect obedience, God will keep his promises to you because Jesus was faithful. God will preserve you. God will make us one in Christ. God will help your heart to further and further rest in him rather than anything else and to worship him 
and obey him. God will refine your faith through testing. God will be kind to you that way. God will refresh your faith in Jesus, and God will, like he did with Abram, redeploy you by faith to go wherever he calls, like he called Abram to go and make much of his name outside of your comfort zones. The Tower of Babel and the human heart is always saying, I want a name for myself. I want comfort. I want to stay. And Jesus is always beckoning, you need to make a name for me. You need to go. God will redeploy you outside of your comfort zones rather than living for your comforts and your fears. So God has worked to keep his promise in Genesis 12 all the way throughout history to fulfill it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I hope you feel the wonder that you are a part of this fulfillment today sitting in this room. I hope that you feel the wonder even more deeply in a room of people that just confessed, I blow it. (laughs) I've blown it. And yet God has been faithful to keep his promises. He will work in this life in our hearts to rest in him until the day that all who have trusted in Jesus enjoy God's presence in God's place forever and ever around his throne saying you are worthy to be praised. He keeps his promises. I don't know where you're at today. I really don't. I know where enough of you are at to know that you need to hear he keeps his promises. Not one of them has fallen and all of them find their yes in Jesus Christ and you're in him. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.